0: Before we get into the podcast today, I want to share an exciting opportunity for you and your leadership team. Now, our team at Lifeway Leadership is bringing the ever popular Pipeline Conference to Orange County, California on February 22nd. So, Pipeline West, as we're calling it, will be an event like none other you have to come, you have to attend, because it's not just a conference, it's a training conference. You and your team will walk away with practical steps to launch your leadership pipeline at your church. You'll hear from Carrie Newoff, Albert Tate, Tom Rayner, Eric Geiger, Daniel M., and more. This event will have plenary sessions, shorter practical TED-style talks, and Q&A with speakers. So, we also offer a second day that you'll want to take a look at. It provides coaching and implementation help for you and your team. So, join us at Pipeline West. Get your tickets at MyLeadershipPipeline.com. Register now to take advantage of early bird rates. Once again, that's MyLeadershipPipeline.com. Now, enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the 5 Leadership Questions podcast. I'm your host, Todd Adkins, and I'm here with Daniel M. Hello, hello. As well as... Our name you will recognize, Emerson Egridge, but he is Sands' wife. She is not with him today. Talking about love or respect, (laughs) which we're all convicted every time we do. Man, even last week when I was preaching at my church, I brought up love and respect. You did? Yeah, I brought up Emerson's Framework. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, a lot
1: Not of- Not knowing that we were going to be doing this podcast today. You didn't realize we no, were- No, no, I didn't. But I mean, I love his
0: framework, so. Good deal. Well, um, we're happy to have him here and we're, you know, hopefully this will be another thing that hits right close to home and is also very convicting. I know it is for me already because we're talking about the subject of email and, um, you know, the, the title of his new book is Before You Hit Send, Preventing Headache and Heartache. Um, we've all probably sent a few emails and I know we've all received some emails that caused headaches and heartaches, but, um, (laughs) we'll, we'll break into that a little bit more, uh, as we go. Emerson, what else would you like listeners to know about you?
2: Well, no, it's great to be with both of you, Todd and Daniel. I appreciate the invitation and um, well one of the things not too long ago Sarah chased me around the house with the book Love and Respect in hand saying what would you say to a husband treating his wife the way you're treating oh, her? That's <laughs> brutal. <laughs> so you can we get away point, from you know, it. We're, we're, all, uh, pro- we're all in uh, you know a maturation process so I <laughs> say to <laughs> people you know, who, it, we never get off the crazy cycle which says without love she reacts without respect and without respect he reacts without love so we're just one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is but but we are excited at the same time for how this message has just helped so many people. And I didn't come up with the idea. It was in Ephesians 5.33. I was a pastor in college town for nearly 20 years. And that's when I saw Ephesians 5.33 and realized the second part of that verse about respecting a husband had been ignored because it wasn't politically correct. But we tried to put that back on the marital radar screen and are so grateful for how the the uh, the church has received this so so uh, with such open arms we've been very blessed Love that, love that.
1: Hey man, if 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 from the mouth of Emerson Eggers <laughs> <laughs>
2: and that happened there, I don't feel that that bad about my marriage anymore. <laughs> that's good. We call that negative encouragement. Yes, that's great. You know, when I found out that Jim Dobson and Shirley Dobson had a fight, I was so encouraged.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. Well, um, I'm sure we'll uncover a few email fails today, but uh, the big thing that we want to talk about. Is both you know personally and professionally, um, churches and non-churches. You know, let, let's really dive into some email questions. And I'm going to start us off, and I'm going to ask the question that everyone uh, wants to ask. Why, and especially you? Because oh, I hate. Yeah, I'm, because you do. Yeah. Why do people hate email? It's really for me. Why do I loathe? <laughs> Yeah, This is, Emerson,
1: this is really your counseling session for Todd. And everybody else just gets to listen. I
0: I say all the time, uh, I I remind um, our guys that, you know, I say, hey, leadership, a lot of leadership is learning in front of people. So I'm going to be learning in front of people today. (laughs) Although I did have a good uh, one day last week. I was, I only had eight in my inbox. I got down to Dude, eight. That's <laughs> legit. It is legit. Yeah. All right. Let's listen from, let's, let's all learn. Right, so why do people hate email? Let's all talk. Why do people
2: hate email? And uh, that was a question that uh, was on a list of questions that you sent me. And that was the first one I thought, I don't ever remember anybody really saying they hate email. (laughs) So (laughs) I think Todd has issues. I would agree. I would agree. Who likes email? I don't know a single
0: person that likes email. Yeah, I'd rather email than text. It's distracting (laughs) and disruptive (laughs) and half of them are, you know, depending on the organization, it could be somebody's just CCing you. You know, to cover up something that they're trying to do, or just to say, "Well, I informed you," or whatever. I mean, there's there's so much of email that is a uh, it, it, it's. I feel like often a, a waste of time,
2: but right, right. Um, well, I think I think the, to the point you make, and I think it's an excellent point that that which is partly why I wrote the book that if if we've had um, distasteful experiences. And email correspondences for any number of reasons. A uh, person has lied to us, or they were trying to be uh, funny, but it came across as sarcastic, and we felt it was a put down. I mean, people have negative experiences because of the reasons I just stated, or in the, your case, where you're referencing, when you're in a leadership position and you're trying to do a whole lot of things, and you have a hundred moving parts, and I mean, you're you're you're, you're swamped. If you, know, you just had eight emails in a, in a day, do you have 80 in an hour? So sometimes it becomes an overwhelming thing and you're trying to disseminate information and you're trying to do it in a way that the, the other person isn't gonna misinterpret. So yeah, it can become a real challenge and that's where it leads to the heartache and headache. Uh, but you tell me more, Todd, uh, as you were <laughs> unpacking some of that. What is it that you feel is a problem with email? I mean, certainly it's a generational issue. Some of the younger would prefer text that was the reference that Daniel was making, so, so the younger generation doesn't really email as much, so you got more texting going on, and so you're gonna see different media forms changing over a period of time. Other people, like even Daniel was saying, sometimes it's quicker, people who don't wanna talk face to face, it's quicker to just get the information, we don't have to go through our introductions again, we can get to the point, move on to the next thing. But let's chat about that a little bit, because what happens in all of this is that if we end up saying things that are misunderstood, we think the person should get the right idea, but they end up getting the wrong idea. Now we've just doubled our efforts because we're gonna have to clarify. And this is where I think it leads to a lot of headache and heartache as well. And it's not just about the content, it's about the relationship with that person. And if they're insecure as a person in and of themselves, now they're reading in uh, to what they think may be a rebuke, when we are just being matter of fact.
1: Yeah, that's so. That's so good. And what you just said there, in, in regards to reading in, because sometimes the the problem with emails, right? The problem with anything that doesn't have the, you know, you don't have the facial expressions and the emotional, you know, intonations and the nuances of speech, verbal speech. Uh, I mean, you just kind of read into it the way you want to read into it, right? And if you're tired and and you know, uh, we like to call it hangry, all right. <laughs> right right <laughs> right I mean so, if you're if you're if that's what it is and you're getting this email what it, it could have been written through a positive lens but really you're you're you're
2: reading into it more than really it ought to be that's correct that's correct and that's why I say we are seeking to emoticon ourselves through life because we don't have enough confidence in our written words, so we have to put icons and visuals, hopefully, that will in some way offset what we have an apprehension about that the other person may misunderstand the intent behind the sentence or the paragraph. That's good. So so
0: um, a very helpful article that I read not too long ago um, is entitled, you'll love this, A Modest Proposal eliminate all email <laughs> uh, and it's That's a sign of modesty it's uh, it, it's uh, basically the story of you know early 80s ID IBM decided to deploy an internal email system uh, and in you know IBM fashion they measured everything so they could estimate how many messages would be sent on the new system uh, based on the research they you know allocated 10 million dollars uh, for this huge mainframe to run their email server and within a week the machine was overwhelmed so it it really that that story is you know really the high cost of cheap messages so when you can send something quickly easily efficiently it's first it seems to save time you know but over the course of time um i think it's important to look at you know a framework, um, because there is a high cost of cheap message. And and so, you know, I love the framework, uh, that you give in the book because you say, Hey, is this true? Is this kind, uh, is this clear? But my favorite one is number three, is this necessary? Mm -hmm. So, you know, could I, Communicate this more efficiently another way. Am I just seeing this person in case something goes wrong, and I need a paper trail? Um, you know, so that that's pretty much, um, pretty much why I hate. I hate email. <laughs> so, right. so based right. on I, that I framework, can, I can't do deep work. I can't. You know, there's <laughs> attention deficit disorder enough in our society, and now. I have to.
1: Okay. So I'm going to chaos, prevent sorry, this, uh, this podcast from becoming too much of a counseling session for <laughs> Todd. Uh, so let's get into the next, uh, the, ne- the next question that we have. So Todd referenced it. Is it true, kind, necessary and clear? This is a framework Emerson that you give in your book. Uh, can you talk to us about um, h- how these filters can help, you know, help keep you from sending emails that you're going to regret uh, and really being the bane of someone's inbox? So so tease the
2: the framework for us. (laughs) Well, and and let me uh, reference that in just a moment, but let's just step back for a moment. I mean, what we're talking about is communication and uh, there are different ways that we communicate today and that's through email or text or face to face is what I call face to face. You know, you're going to have that or it's going to be text to text or voice to voice how that manifests itself, those three areas, is is gonna perhaps continue to change. And there's nothing like face-to-face, that personal encounter. But what we're talking about here is thinking before we're speaking. And the challenge for all of us is we're gonna have these different forms like email, and Todd does not prefer that because it demands something of him that puts him in a position where he may fall short of the other person's expectations. And he finds that there may be disappointment with them or he feels like he has to explain a whole lot of things in an email that would be easier just to do face-to-face. Each of us has to kind of come to grips with what media form is most you know, effective for us and, and try to use that. And maybe that God is revealing to Todd, you know, you're better at face-to-face and you just continue to do that And that means rounding people together that you have oversight over and and just interact with them in that manner, as opposed to trying to whack away if you can't type very well, so to speak, trying to explain everything in a form that really isn't energizing to you. And so that, I think, has to be recognized. But at the end of the day, we're talking about communication and we're talking in a deeper sense about making sure we think before we communicate. And we learned that when we were four years old. So what we're about to enter in here isn't information that we don't know. It really is information we do know, but raises the question, why don't we act on this? And as you pointed out, uh, anger is one reason. Uh, we end up kind of just ignoring these four things that we've talked about, and they're not novel to me, although the, the fourth one I added. But Socrates is, is credited with the idea of asking, is it true, is it kind, is it necessary? And I added a fourth, is it clear? Because there were many times I thought I did the first three and people were saying, what's your point again? (laughs) And so for me, it was also important to make sure that what I said was clear in uh, speaking, when I was preaching or in writing. And what I have done over the years, and this started in college. I heard those first three when I was a, a sophomore or junior at Wheaton College. And it was like something just clicked because I wanted to be an effective communicator, but I was struggling with it, and when I heard, just ask yourself before you speak or do anything, is it true, is it kind, is it necessary, and then of course later I added, is it clear, and those four have been part of my DNA, and when I operate according to that way, things tend to go okay, and when I don't, it just creates more headache and heartache, so it's really a great self-interest for me to use this as a checklist, a boundary, some kind of parameter, because it, it just helps me and the other person with whom I'm communicating. The question you and I need to ask today is, why don't we do this when we know we should? Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> why don't we? <laughs> We're
0: humans.
1: Well, let's talk about that for a moment. Yeah, yeah, why don't we? Because we, I mean, mean, so much of our life is like that, right? We know what we ought to do, but (laughs) we just don't do it. Like, I know I shouldn't have eaten pizza for lunch today, but it was leftovers. And I just, I
0: didn't want to make myself a sandwich. I know I should have eaten lunch today,
2: (laughs) but I chose to do work instead. Yeah. That's a poor decision as well. I'm sure it's going to hit me soon. Yeah. Yeah. So then it comes down to an issue of incentive. Then, you know, if we know we should do something, we don't do it, then obviously we lack the motivation for doing it. So then, then I suppose the reason some of us want to abide by this checklist is because we hit a wall so hard in years past that we said, you know what, I don't want to rupture a relationship like that again after saying something that was maybe not true, it certainly was unloving, it was disrespectful, it certainly wasn't necessary. I mean, I think those of us who live by this checklist have had bad experiences. One of the points I always make, do you know why every church policy has been established at the local church level. Why they have a church policy? Because of one negative experience. Yeah. Yep. know they weren't prepared for, and so in order to prevent that from happening again, they uh, let's make a you know a policy here from here on in, and it, we are humored by that. But there's a great deal of truth, and these four points that there I is. make have have been uh, part of my life because I realized when I violated those prior to those lists, I realized I just made a mess of things. It didn't go well for me. So I have an incentive for me, it's negative in orientation, not to make that mistake because it's just not worth it to me. And, and today one of the points I'm making is everything we communicate through the media, and I, one of the points I make it's worldwide web means it's worldwide, and social media means it's social. And the digital footprint is permanent. You can't remove it. Even though people think you can, there are things that are recording everything. So technically it's a better part of wisdom not to conclude, you know what, I can delete this and it's gonna go away. because that's simply not true? And I love what Christ said. And we know from a a spiritual perspective, every careless word I'm gonna have to give an account for. Jesus said that. So there is a heavenly footprint as well. And it, this is a great visual aid to us today to realize that everything I'm saying is leaving some kind of, of record there. And it becomes incumbent upon me then to realize, you know what, this is worth me getting right. I've talked to I don't know how many business owners now. Do you know what they do before they hire somebody after the interview? Do You know what they're doing? Check it social. That's exactly right. This becomes the top criteria, and Jesus said, "The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart." And even though these leaders, CEOs, are not quoting Jesus, they instinctively know that's the truth. That this person's language reveals their character, and they're going to hire them or not hire them based on social media.
0: Well, and it goes back to something you said earlier about creating, um, you know, policies when somebody does something negative. Um, You know, we have a saying here uh, about savvy, you know, savvy people will outperform savvy policy, you know, every day of the week and twice on Sunday. It's just, it's something that a policy can never do something that a savvy person will. But I do like savvy frameworks um, because a framework can be used by somebody to, to, as a lens to, to look through. Um, this is good just to communicate with this with people. Forget email. You know, before I say something to my wife, is this true? Is this kind? Is this necessary? Is it clear? Um, y- you know, I, I just think that any any framework like that, any tool, um, is helpful, especially for those listening. You know, sometimes we've in the past we've talked about emotional intelligence and can emotional intelligence be taught? yes to a certain extent because we can put a framework in front of us like this to help us with that it doesn't have anything to do with a policy um and, and it really it really helps us so i did want to move on to uh to some practice pieces so what are some of best practices when handling email
2: well i think the big one is when we are angry and uh how do we deal with this and this is where most of us make our mistakes i mean you can be hungry Uh, and we're just, you know, uh, needing to eat. But most of us, it's anger. And we feel hurt by something someone said. We're offended, and it turns into this righteous indignation, which kind of borders on a sinful anger at times, because it's really not a righteous indignation about you being hurt. It's a, it's a righteous indignation about me being hurt, and so there is a selfishness here at times. But it's this moment when I'm I'm hurt, I'm offended, I can't believe what I think they said to me, and uh, we want to give them a piece of of our mind. And someone said, Emerson, you don't want to give them a piece of your mind. I said, Why? I said, Well, you can. Ill- afford what little you have left up there (laughs) so you know the and and that's true for most of us but on the deeper level there's a basic principle on this idea of boundaries or whatever is set on it for a while you know it says don't let the Sun go down in your anger and there's a real wisdom and being able to address things so you don't become bitter. But there's another side. If you're not bitter, but you're you're ready to kind of launch out on this person. It's better just to give it 24 hours. Think about it. Write it up. Let your wife or your husband or some good friend read it and make who's going to be part of the problem, not necessarily just gossiping about the problem, but to make sure because this is where most people make the mistake. We're upset and we just let it rip. And somehow we're hoping that the other person somehow is mature enough to be able to absorb that, and sometimes they are. But I have not found very many times when we do that that people are gonna respond favorably. And here's what's even more interesting. Remember when we were in high school and we got five A's and one F? What did we fixate on? We fixate on the F, yeah. And so too, you can say five wonderful things in an email, but one negative, and they're going to fixate on the negative. And even if the negative wasn't intended to be negative, it was that sarcasm that really we're trying to be silly and funny, but they interpret it as you know, there's oh, there's there's truth in all jest kind of thing, and they think that the whole reason then that we wrote the email is it sandwiched in between You know, the good, and the, we started with the good and we ended with the good, but really the whole point was this one little thing yeah. that they fixate on that. So the challenge for us, whether it's in email or whether it's face-to-face, whatever the, the, the media form is going to be, we have to just recognize that this is something that is going to create more headache and heartache if we don't do it right. So it, it really saves us a lot of time um, to just pull back, especially when we're angry, and uh, in order for us to make sure that we don't just make this thing worse. Yeah, that's a really good point. How about you? You got me? <laughs> I'm learning
1: Any from you. here. <laughs> I mean, that's it's so it's so true though that I mean, if you just look at sarcasm, right? My, I mean, I grew up in Vancouver, grew up in North, you know. In English speaking area. I mean, in an English speaking world, in this sense, my parents, I mean, their English is, is pretty good, but they're immigrants in the seventies. And even as I relate with them or relate with others who English is not their first language, I mean, sarcasm is one of the hardest things to learn. And to, it's, it's just one of those things that just, it's so hard to teach uh, for those who are not native English speakers. And you're Canadian. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So there's another level there too. (laughs) Right. I mean, so even I, I, am looking at it with my kids sometimes, you know, we'll sit Christina and I will say something to each other and then my kids will like look at us and they're like, huh? What? And one of them will be like, Oh, is that, is that sarcasm? And we're like, yeah, it's sarcasm. And we're like, Oh, okay. Okay. And it's just, if that's how it is with the verbal spoken word, I mean, imagine how much more difficult it is in writing right like i like how do you like, it's so difficult to even, you know, begin thinking about how to convey sarcasm via writing. So, so is it just best practice not to do it at all? Well,
2: Bing, bingo, bingo, no, yeah. that's exactly right. In, in written form, that's exactly right. Now yeah. relationship determines response as Howard Henderson's yeah. story say. And so uh, clearly if we've got a close relationship like you and Todd, you know, you he's gonna know because he, he just knows your personality, he knows what that meant. And so he's not gonna take up offense, in fact, may even grin, cause he knows what you're doing. But that's why each of us has to figure out what's the nature of the relationship here. And if, if it's a, and particularly if it's a person under us and uh, a leadership structure and we're sarcastic, most people are gonna read into that a negativity. And so if we use sarcasm, the use of the icon, or just say, I'm just being silly here, it's late or I'm hungry, you know, you, you can put the offsetting comment there. But if, if you don't, and, and they don't interpret it correctly, some people can sit on those things for months thinking that you really have something against them. And this is why some of us want to pull our hair out because we think, are people that insecure? And the answer is yes, they are. (laughs) And so part of the challenge, especially for leaders, is leaders sometimes don't have those same insecurities. They have a sense of confidence, they have a sense of vision, sense of passion, they're moving forward, they're excited, they're energized. But the people who are loyal to them and around them um, may not have the same wiring and so we have to be guarded about how we say things because they could think that we're sending a message of disapproval.
1: That's true. Or or yeah. that you're trying to send a message of, hey, this is actually what I want you to do or you need to do it this way. What's right?
0: interesting, though, is so for like uh, Daniel and I who have a friendship and we work together and, you know, pile on to that, there are things that he could say to me in person that I would not take any offense or read incorrectly but if he send them to me in an email yeah
2: I which might you take
0: y- y- which I hate uh, I might I might respond differently and that might be um, for two reasons one it was just the way I read it and I didn't have the contextualization of his nonverbals and you know he wasn't there to soften it or two you can't control when people receive the email and yeah, something really bad or you know, there might be a different context in which that he, you know, or I open up that email, and now we're inferring things on that message that you know were never intended just because of the context in which we read the email. As well,
2: no, that's right, and I think that's why the nonverbals as you and that was profoundly said that that you you can see the twinkle in a person's eye. Daniel's twinkle. If he's there face to face or he winks or grins or something, he yeah, has that just says it all. all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just has that. He's twinkling not, right now. <laughs> yeah. Emerson,
0: twinking, right? Emerson yeah. if you saw the twinkle right now.
2: <laughs> oh, man. Yes. Yes. Oh, well, I mean, this it, is fantastic. That's why, that's why you hate emails, because the twinkle <laughs> can't be conveyed. And that's what we're up against. That's why. That fourth point, is it clear? Was so important to me because I felt inadequate as a communicator at times, and and uh, you know I remember saying, you know I know what I mean, I just can't say it, and the person said, if you can't say it, you don't know what you mean. Mm-hmm. And that really challenged me to try to say on paper as best I could what it was I was thinking, particularly if I was a little bit unclear in myself. You know, preachers said if there's a if there's a, a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pew. Yeah. You know, if I don't know in my own self what it is I'm trying to say, then you know the other person's probably not going to be able to figure that out. And that becomes even more of a challenge when we're trying to do it textually, particularly if the the information is very very important. And so uh, that's why clarity is so crucial and why developing the skills of communication. And I will tell you one thing that I think some people listen say, well, I really am not a good communicator. Every good communicator probably feels they're not a good communicator, but they keep working at it. We just keep working at it. Uh, just constantly trying to figure out, is this the best way to say this? And, and we write it out and we journal and we take time with it. It isn't always natural. There's some people that are just gifted, but most of us have to keep working at it. And I say that because I think some people give up a little bit too quick. And I say, no, 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 just join the rest of us. This is gonna take work. And you gotta ask yourself, is this true? In other words, is there anything in this thing that's untrue or it, it may be true, but you haven't told the whole truth. You know, is it ne- Is it kind? In other words, is it really going to sound loving to the person? Is it going to sound respectful to the other person? Are they going to think that you're really trying to, you know, you, I mean, you can be right, but wrong at the top of your voice, as we say. Is it necessary in terms of, you know, are you including too much information here? They really don't have a right to know this. They don't need to know this. Mm. It's just too, it's TMI. It's too much information. You know, my CEO, COO. I mean, the other day was uh, updating some people on this gal that was going to get married, and she was saying this is her fourth relationship, and it's and she's now going to get married in this with this person, and she was going on and on, and then she realized they didn't need to know about these other three relationships, and furthermore, I knew that at that point they were going to interpret my meaning here to be this that this woman doesn't know how to do relationships. <sighs> And that was not my intent at all and I was giving them way too much information which wasn't necessary and which is going to lead to a really kind of a misunderstanding and put this person in a bad light that I never intended. So she said I deleted it. And then of course that fourth one, if I'm not clear and, and the people don't even understand my point or even a lot of times in emails, this is where I make a mistake and I have to remind myself, sometimes we just jump in. That's why I also work at uh, being clear because when I exert the kind of energy that I really don't want to exert, I'm tired or I'm hungry whatever the case, it really is in my best interest to do this. If it's not true, if it's not kind, if it's not necessary, it's not clear, do not hit sin. But there's another side of this. If it is true, it is kind, it is necessary, it is clear, then hit sin. Someone read the book and said, I thought you were basically going to tell us to shut up but really what you're saying to us is to speak up. And that's really the important point. Most people lack courage to speak up when those four things all align themselves. And by the way, we put in some big money to test out those four concepts and they are like the four legs on a table. They are distinct, unique. The researcher who did this said this is off the charts. These all four, there's no overlap. In other words, if you say something that's true, kind, necessary, but it's not clear, you're gonna undermine your communication. If you say something that's true, but it's not kind, even though it may be necessary and clear, it's gonna undermine it. Each of those have to align themselves, and when they do, hit send, or go to the person and talk to them. But it raises the question, do I have the courage to do that?
1: I love that. I love that. So let's say Emerson, you're on the the receiving end of an email, a where yeah, email. a thoughtless email where someone didn't have this framework and they didn't think through this, and and there was sarcasm, there was you know just a lot of different maybe they were sandwiching uh, you know good thing and you know the criticism and another compliment after that. So, so regardless, there's a thoughtless email that was sent to you. How
2: how should you respond to that? What kind of advice can you give our listeners? Well, I think, yeah, no, it's an excellent question. And the first point is we see how ineffective it is. And this is why it's what I call the golden rule of communication. You know, in fact, let me just back up. It's interesting to me, Todd and Daniel, there was a, there's a professor at Stanford. He's an expert on communication. And he talks about the fact that you don't want to lie to people and knowingly lie. It's just a basic principle of interpersonal communication. And there were academics reviewing what he said. And he said, well, they said, you know, you have to temper what he is saying. Here's the deal. People must not lie to us, but we reserve the right to lie to other people. This from intellectual individuals. There is this mindset, you better not lie to me, but I reserve the right to mislead you. And each of us has to come to a point where we make a decision that I'm not going to violate these four things, because I know that when people do it toward me, it's extremely upsetting. So when someone sends me a thoughtless email, they're saying something that's not true, it's unkind, it's not necessary, and it's confusing me, this sends us through the roof. And this is proof positive why these four principles are so important, because immediately puts us on the defensive, it provokes us, we can't believe that they would say this to us. Now, That would be in the worst case scenario. Given, again, we have a relationship with the person, we have to give people the benefit of the doubt. One of the points that I make is, let's just assume goodwill here. Let's just assume that they did not intend to say it this way, and let's not take up offense too quickly. You know, the Pharisees sent a message through Jesus' disciples and the disciples that came to him and they said, do you not know that the Pharisees are offended by what you've said? And the point that I make is just because the Pharisees were offended didn't mean that Jesus, in fact, was offensive. He was perfect. And just because I'm offended by this thoughtless email does not mean that that person intended any way to be offensive toward me. Hmm. Years ago, I had a brother at Wheaton send me an email or uh, not an email, it was a letter at that point, a note quoting one of the Psalms, you know, like the, the God favors the righteous, do not be like the the donkey or the mule that need bit and bridle, you know, do not be foolish, but instead look to God for his guidance, right? And he sent me that note and I immediately went to him and I said, do you think I'm a dumb donkey that needs bit and bridle? And he said, no. That was not my intent at all. I was trying to say to you that God was going to lead you based on the conversation you and I had the other day. Mm. I completely misread that, took up offense, and was irritated at him, and I completely misread his intent. So my challenge to people is, let's give people the benefit of the doubt, assume goodwill, unless somehow they are going to take you to court and sue the socks off of you. So I want to move us
0: into our our fifth question, and I think everybody needs to answer this one. You can not name names to protect the innocent, whatever you'd like, but what are some of the worst email fails? Hashtag email fails. Hashtag email fails you've ever witnessed. If you would like, like to participate, I, listeners, you can also use hashtag email fails and uh, do so on social.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think. Well, are you ask, asking the audience to do that? Or are you asking me to also say um, some? I'm telling you. I'm asking you to yeah. to tell me some stuff based well, on what you've book, yeah, in the book. Before you hit sent, I I these, let me just read two examples that I start out with. The job applicant for a major software company who tweeted that she was just offered a job, but now she had to weigh the utility of a fatty paycheck against the daily commute to San Jose and hating the work. Shortly after her not well thought through tweet, she received a reply from an employee at the firm who was seeking to hire her, asking her, who is the hiring manager? I'm sure they would love to know that you will hate the work. We here at Cisco are versed in the web and she didn't get the job, she didn't get the job. Justine Seiko was global head of communications for a media conglomerate living in New York and flying home to South Africa for Christmas when she tweeted, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm white. After the plane touched down, she learned that her tweet had gone viral. The outcome of which was that her employer fired her and she underwent unthinkable hostility. Seiko sent what she considered a ridiculous, over the top, ironic tweet. She was actually trying to be tongue in cheek, but it wasn't received that way. She quickly became the poster child for bad tweets and the incident was covered widely. And one of the points that I made earlier in our conversation is everything we say now is leaving a digital footprint. We say to young people, I want this book in the hands of collegiates in high school that your whole future could rest on a, a handful of comments or pictures that you put out there that are gonna undermine that. Same thing with leaders, that we say something in, a, in an email that goes to the whole church, ends up being copied and it's out there. These are things that are very difficult. The, the redeeming thing though, and this is what's so beautiful, most people in America are forgiving, and if we act immediately, and you see the Proverbs as well as Jesus go immediately, go and seek forgiveness, That I was wrong, I, I take 100%, please forgive me of this. That doesn't mean the consequences might not be removed based on whatever it is. But definitely interpersonally with people that we're friends with, like you and Todd, Dan and Todd, uh, Daniel and Todd, I mean you guys could say things toward each other that you know what, I was out of line, I was angry, I was upset at you or whatever, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Most everyone does, because the day before, we were violating that. So I think that if we justify ourselves though, If we reinforce, oh, you know what? I have every right to have that attitude. I'm saying you won't win with that. The better posture is to humble oneself and seek forgiveness immediately if we said something that wasn't true, wasn't kind, wasn't necessary, wasn't clear. And the same thing holds true in marriage. I mean, even now that I've read this, written this book, Sarah will sometimes say, was that necessary? (laughs) I love that. That's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) That is. Can I say yes, absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, I, I think most of the email fails um, I have personally witnessed or experiences experienced shouldn't have been emails in the first place. There's two types. There's ones that should have been conversations that were emails and they just go south very quickly. Uh, there's the I didn't mean to hit send and I hit send debacle or I think I'm emailing one person and email the whole group and say something that I shouldn't have said about somebody. I mean, there's, there's so many of those things that, that, you know, the infamous reply
2: all. Oh, it's brutal. (laughs) That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's where, you know, we come back to that church policy is based on a negative experience. And that's why many of us do like this checklist. It's not a policy. It's a set of principles that preserve and prevent this kind of thing from happening and that becomes very important to us because damaged relationships are just not worth it to see the pain that we've inflicted on people because we're being foolish uh we simply should not have done this I mean it, it is very very painful and that's why in part I wrote this book to say look we don't have to go through that if we just guard ourselves and think about this I mean I open you know the, the book I mean there's all kinds of experts out there that are addressing this but uh Dance like no one is watching. Email like it may one day be read aloud in a deposition. Yes. And it's crucial that we just have enough sense of uh, self-worth that we say, you know what? Uh, I, I And part of my concern is that people who are violating this just don't think that they matter. And that we can kind of lack civility because at the end of the day, I really don't matter. But to the extent that you believe you do matter, I just want to applaud that and say, look, then guard yourself on this because you're a person of influence and uh, take this seriously. And it's crucial. And in the book, I have 81 reasons throughout the book that we violate what we know and learn from fourth grade. Or I mean, when we're four years old, and uh, most, all of us know that those are the questions. So it raises the question that I said earlier, why would we violate this? And I have 81 different reasons why people who are good step over these. And then we have an assessment tool that's free that they can get in the appendix that you can assess yourself and see where you cluster together in terms of this communication. Because some of us do some things extremely well, but we need to be guarded you know, on the other side of things. And, um, I hope to create that profile so that a person can hopefully improve their communication. Cause at the end of the day, so much of our effectiveness is based on communication. Unless we live a cloistered life and have taken a vow of silence, communication is fundamental to our effectiveness.
1: Yeah. I love that. And that's why Actually, in Gmail, I have the whole undo send oh, I feature. I set it at thirty seconds because the number too. of times I have hit, <laughs> I've hit send you know, and I just ended up hitting cancel because yes. I'm like I shouldn't have done that. I don't know. I, I don't know why. I just don't send it in the first place. But that undo send thing is a fantastic feature. Well, because you
0: notice you you just reply at all. I mean, yeah, the way yeah, Gmail true. works on an iPhone, it almost uh, it. Is really natural to reply all versus just reply, yeah. And so, you know, um, I think that gets a lot of people as well. So, uh, can you talk for a minute about um, how have, and this may or may not be part of the research, but how have um, how have tools like, you know, Slack or Asana or some activity stream, you know, type tools,
2: how, how have they affected? email, or have they? You could perhaps speak to that better than I could. What's your thought on that?
0: Well, um, I I mean, so I guess where part part of what I'm thinking here is almost that my point earlier was about really email becoming cheap messages, and there's a really high cost to it. I mean, obviously emotionally uh, as well as time, but there's there's a strong potential that email becomes so overused that it's informal or there are, it's the formal versus informal, so I'll hear people give an excuse for not using punctuation or capitalization in an email that is just an email. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, no, you know, punctuation is, is, is really important. Yeah you know I wonder if
1: texting work for a publisher yeah, know. I wonder if texting and Slack and you know these types of messaging services actually I wonder if it'll actually make email
0: more formal. I think I think it will. Um, and, and I think people sometimes forget who they're emailing. I would never email Tom Rayner. And not have one of our editors look at it, <laughs> yeah. because I know my audience. I know that he uh, he has an eye for grammar, uh, and and I want to make sure, doubly sure, that I'm not sending him an email <laughs> that you know lacks um, lacks good grammar. And and so I just think that we have seen a proliferation of cheap messages, and that was that's
2: really. Um, my axe to grind more than anything else well and I like the way you said that, that it's a cheap message to send but it's high in its cost uh, after the fact and I think um, it's a great way of looking at cost benefit and this is partly what I'm trying to say it's not worth doing poorly here uh, again, if you have a relationship with someone, then there's some grace given, and you know. And sometimes you've got to establish it in businesses, for instance. Even with Harper Collins, when we were writing the book, they asked me to write this book. Uh, we we're talking about a staff that you know they have a hundred emails that they got to send out, and they've got to establish rules. Look, if I respond in one sentence to your question without, you know, how are you doing? You know, hey, thanks whatever. That 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 curtness can be offensive. So what they have to do is establish rules. Look, if I'm just responding one sentence and it kind of feels like I'm being curt, I'm not being curt. you know, we, we've got to get moving on this stuff. And these information items, we're just going back and forth, you know? So one of the challenges is to figure out, is this communication just for information, is it for persuasion, is it an, an affection? I call it, you know, there are matters of the heart, you know, and, and when it's matters of the heart, you got to be extremely guarded if you're confronting someone, I mean, or if you're expressing love to someone, these are issues that are of the heart. Uh, if it's something that you're trying to persuade someone of, you know, you're appealing to them to make a change. That also is very crucial. If you're just giving people a map on how to get to your house, you know, again, it better be correct, though, to your point. If you're <laughs> misleading them, they're not going to show up. But grammatically, you say if, you, if you're if sending an email, email to an editor, you better understand If you don't do this right, you're gonna come across as stupid, as unlearned. And uh, this undermines your credibility. And that credibility is crucial. In my life, I wanted to be credible. I wanted to be viewed as trustworthy and competent. And trustworthy and competent is how I define credibility. And so I had asked myself, hey, I may be a trustworthy guy, but am I coming across as competently? And I may be competent, but do they really not trust me? And you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's a matter of having a personality. You've got to be able to have some kind of a, a twinkle, even when you write. People have to know that you're, you know, you're a delightful individual, that you're a likable individual. And if we're saying things in such a way that people, you know, they just really don't like us, they don't like the way we communicate to them personally, nor in the way we communicate over email, we're going to undermine our credibility, and at some point we're going to lose our effectiveness as leaders. It's worth the time to do this right. Well, thanks again, Emerson,
1: for taking the time to uh, not only for the way that you've blessed us with love and respect and your ministry over the years, but with this new framework before you hit send, right? Is it, um, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it clear? So be sure to pick up a copy of his book before you hit send, preventing headache and heartache everywhere books are sold. And if you go to our show notes, you can find links there to his ministry, to to quotes from our interview today as well
0: Uh, but thanks again for listening in and we will catch you next time wait don't don't go yet don't hold up okay so we are doing pipeline west in the oc that's right southern california february 22nd and 23rd so february 22nd is the actual conference day that's kerry newoff tom rayner eric geiger myself daniel m albert tate These people will all be bringing it for sure. You want to be there, not only because it's going to be great content, but it's February, okay? And this is California. So it's sunny in 76 is good to be at any time of year, but especially in February. Hope to see you there.